Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Sachs. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with us. Because he has a lot of chip spots. Monday, September 23rd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, and I'm a proud 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm your co-host, Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Alrighty. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org. On tonight's show, join us as we welcome live in studio the inspirational filmmakers behind the new documentary, Nurses the Movie, if Florence could see us now. Produced by the nonprofit On Nursing Excellence, we'll be joined by film creator-director Kathy Douglas and survivors Jonathan Van Noyes and Lori Mathers, who appear in the film. Survivor Spotlight on blogger and health activist Jody Shoger. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Chief Everything Else Officer at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live live tweeting throughout our broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SCRadio. Apparently, we're all having embolisms tonight. Yes or no? We're all good. Yes, we're all having embolisms. It's the new technology. The show is is taking over our brains. We're intimidated by our own studio. We are. We are. We are are victims of our own success. It's quite daunting. It is. (laughs) Anyway. Hello. Hi. Take two. How goes it? (laughs) Hi, everyone. Oh, boy. Happy fall. Happy fall. That is true. September 23rd is after September 21st. It is indeed, and it is now fall. I went to school to learn that. Great job. (laughs) And it feels like fall. I'm wearing a pseudo kind of thing. What's this called? What's what called? What I'm wearing. You're wearing a uh, shirt. Please. Like a like. <laughs> are you layering? I have zip please. <laughs> Thank wearing, you. Yeah, like kind of a Henley style. Please. I don't know what yeah. these things are called. Let's put yeah. them on. They're in my closet. But Just, sweaters. My wife's like, it's cold. Wear this. All right, whatever. Anyway, I am uh, excited because um, 
I uh, well, actually we all went to this fabulous event mm-hmm. on Thursday evening. Was it Thursday? Friday night. It was Friday night. I have no yeah. idea what's going on. Yep, that's why we're here. PM three sixty, the Pharma Marketing Magazine of the Universe, had their mm-hmm. annual. Um, Man, I'm breaking down. It's their down. annual Trailblazer Award Thank you. Gala. Like Haymaker Awards. No, not Haymaker. Trailblazer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they give away like the Emmys for the pharmaceutical it, industry. It would be interesting now if it was the Haymaker Awards and they got up on stage and, and punched everyone in the face. <laughs> that's, that's a marketing. Yeah, no one knows what that means. For them for next okay. Year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it was great. I was invited to keynote and give a little five-minute speech to, what, like three or 400 people that were there from yeah, all fancy. different pharmaceutical yeah, walks of, of life. It was very exciting. Industry. Very exciting. And I spoke about... Yeah, man, I am. I should have had that drink. I spoke about <laughs> dignity. This show's gone. The, the technology's gone way up. We've gone way down. Yes. All right. You gave a good speech about dignity. Continue. That's it. I'm done. It was excellent. It was five minutes. You should have been there. I think it was recorded. Maybe. Maybe. I'd like to hear it. I don't know what I said. It just came out of me. You just blacked out. <laughs> you just blacked out, and you're like, "Whoa, he what just happened?" It. He's like, "I read something, but I'm gonna read. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna speak from the heart, and then." Yep. And then, you got and then he be, blacked out. And you were an award <laughs> presenter as well. You got yes, to hand was, out some of the I was Vanna White. Who was the award recipient? Oh, like Company of the Year, Ad Campaign uh, of the Year, mm-hmm. you know, Product my, of the Year. My favorite award was the Best Use of Self-Promotion. Seriously? Yeah, I feel like a lot of my Facebook friends could also get that award. Yeah, no wow. kidding. Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. So many people to nominate for Someone yeah, who posts pictures of their babies and cats yeah. all day? Yes, <laughs> yes. Impressive. Um, I did see something in the news that I wanted to uh, talk about because this was kind of unnerving. Uh, MGM Grand apparently now has a brand new facility where you get actual IV drip of nutraceuticals. Is this like the vitamin thing? Yeah, it's a, it's the it's like the new oxygen bar. Is the nutrition IV bar with two nurses in the room? They're like their eyebrows are on their foreheads now. Yeah, I have seen this on the news. Yes, it is a scam. It is not necessarily bad for you. There is the risk of infection from getting a needle or whatever, however they're giving it to you, shoved into your body. But otherwise, you're spending $1,000 to sit in a chair and have an IV drip for you to essentially urinate out a bunch of vitamins. Am I right, nurses? You're getting it? They're nodding on the radio. They're nodding, yes. So... Yeah, I've read stories about this where people are like, oh, I need an afternoon boost. Yeah, I think it's called the placebo effect, where you think it's helping you, but really it's just it's hydration. Yes. Similar but different, I, I saw on my Facebook feed, somebody posted about uh, CrossFit sending you into some sort of bodily harm. and uh, you're It's ba- trying to one-up each other. Basically, your muscle fiber uh, is released into your bloodstream because you are taking such a beating at these workouts mm-hmm. uh, that you're actually doing yourself a disservice over yeah, time. Yeah, I have her, I, my friend who's a nurse also posted that too. It's just about how it's like we're all trying to one-up each other at the gym, and I really don't care. I just uh, listen to music or watch TV and do my own thing and really don't pay attention to anybody else. But, uh, yeah, it's just basically people trying to one-up each other, and even though they are either physically exhausted or going beyond their limits, they're like puking and you know, passing out and crazy things. It's, just, as, it's not worth as it. As someone who's largely lethargic, <laughs> I, I felt quite proud of myself. I'm going to go with the worst side effect of CrossFit uh, is blowing up a city. Huh? Excuse me? Like in Fight Club, they blew up a city. Oh. 
Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Yeah, that didn't that that one went over my head. That's okay. Sorry. Didn't have to. I was planning on explaining it. Great. I am just proud of myself if I make it to the gym, do 30 minutes in the elliptical, lift a couple of weights, and then go home. I don't believe in paying to exercise. I just run places, um, and I can lift things in my home. I'm not going to pay someone $100 a month. I saw Maureen, so I saw well, Maureen I to run, run to the kitchen before. Yeah. <laughs> I run, yeah, I run a solid 10 feet at a time. There's a random line. This is The, the movie's irrelevant. This is Back to the Future 3, but there's a line where he's in the past. The doc is in the past, and he's talking to the Old West guys in the 1880s. Is like, and in the future, we will run for fun. <laughs> <laughs> there are jaws drop. Run for fun. Someone shoot this guy. Imagine that, running for fun. Anyway, I'm off to um, the Astro Conference. Not it's to be confused Astros? with the Houston Astros, which are a baseball is that team. In, is that in Houston? No. <laughs> it is the Association of... Uh, Radiation oncologist. I don't know what the STR stands for, but yeah, it's more or less that. Yeah, yeah. It's like ASCO for radiation oncologists. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a panel with Johnny Immerman from Immerman Angels. Mm-hmm. I know him. And Tamika Felder. I know her. Of mm-hmm. <laughs> who I will make a shameless plug. She has an amazing new um, uh, outreach program called Survivor with C E R V, like cervical cancer survivor. Okay. .org. It's probably one of the best marketing things I've ever seen. Really? It takes a lot to impress me in marketing. This is something I wish I invented. Isn't it also like uh, Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month? It is. Yes, that's yes, yes, what I thought. Mm-hmm. But Survivor, C-E-R-V-I-V-O-R. That it's is... stunningly brilliant. Yeah, yep. very good. Very so I'm brilliant. seeing her tomorrow with Johnny at this Astro meeting. Then I'm going to Boston. There's a health group called WEGO, W-E-G-O health.com. And they're basically a social network for doctors. And they're apparently very influential. And I'm mm-hmm. keynoting. And I'm actually playing piano, apparently, at this uh, conference, which is amazing. Scribblings. <laughs> Hits from your It's a good thing I play piano, too. Otherwise, it would be weird if I just show yeah. Yeah. And back here in New York, of course, we're prepping for OMG yes. East. Yes, the big... Coming, coming Saturday. We're Word very up. excited for that. Second annual OMG yeah. 2013 East. A, yes. OMG East. We've got like 175 registered. About 175 people so far that's we've got planning to attend. That's where, I'm, that's where I met all you people. That's that right. It's event. your one-year stupid cancerversary. That us. was my first event ever, which I learned about through Young Survival Coalition. Nice. Awesome. So you should come have your first event here with us at OMG East, you listeners. Yes. Um, yes. This Saturday. And I'm, I'm heading, uh, this week we have two weeknight events with Yelp. They're throwing us some sort of... Uh, like not, the Yelp? Uh, yes. Uh, Yelp NYC is, is hosting some sort of community nonprofit event. It's two nights in a row, and we are one of many nonprofits showing up. So I will be uh, setting up our new trade show banner, which you may have seen on Facebook yes. if you are a stupid cancer super fan. Schmancy fancy. And then heading out to San Diego Friday this weekend uh, for Scripps, their annual conference. Right. Which and Scripps is, is cool. like the other oncology nursing society. Mm. There's lots and lots of nurses. Well, we have two nurses here. We'll be talking to them in a little bit. Um, maybe they belong to ONS or, or actually non-oncology, but just generally the nursing. want to learn more about the nursing world because we live in the cancer nursing world, but the rest of the world is not the cancer nursing world, and it's entirely a different world, I would imagine. But uh, let's get to our first guest. We're very excited to have her back on the Stupid Cancer Show. Um, so we are joined by Jody Shoger. She's a writer and social media consultant who lives in metastatic breast cancer. She is the co-founder of the hashtag BCSM Community, an online support information network with women and men affected by breast cancer. Her writing is a feature in Oncology Times and Cure Today. Welcome, Jody. 
Hello, Jody. Wow. Welcome. Hello. It's so awesome to have you on the show. I was dancing to the music. <laughs> How are you? Where are you calling you in from? Hilarious. Even, the, even when we screw up? Well, no. I just said I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where are you calling in from, Jody? I'm calling tonight. I was in. Oh. Jody, we seem to be having some. Jody, we seem to be having some problems um, with you. We're going to have our producer have you call back into the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's going to have you call back into the show. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Should we uh, run through the events real quick? Yeah, let's just do the events real quick, then we'll get back to Jody. All right, so here we go. Um, Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All All right, right, Kenny. Thank you, Matt. Yes. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in New York of the Woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Have some events coming up in New York City, San Diego, Hinsdale, Illinois, and that's it for uh, this week. All right. Save the date for OMG 2014, the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Next April, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, visit omg2014.org to join the mailing list in the official Facebook group. Matt, we mentioned it earlier. The fall season is upon us. It's getting cold. Check out our Stupid Cancer hoodies, hats, gloves, and more. Head on over to stupidcancerstore.org. And uh, check out the all-new Stupid Cancer Show at stupidcancerstore.org, your online destination, your new, brand-new online destination to listen to all of our shows, all 276 of them, and subscribe for free via Apple iTunes Podcast or iHeart Radio Talk. It's quite lovely. All right, Matthew, time is running out to register for the second annual OMG Cancer Summit East in New York City. It's this Saturday. Only a few slots remain. It's free, and it's going to be awesome. Learn more at East. That's east.omg2013.org. And that is your Stupid Cancer Cancer News. News. Okay, Jody, we're back. You with us, Jody? I'm here. Okay. Oh, much better. A little better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, where are you calling in from tonight? Much better. Yes. You think I'm calling in from Mars, but I'm actually calling in from Texas, which I guess that's sort of like Mars. Well, from New York City. People are yeah. nodding on the radio. Compared to New York, it is. <laughs> yeah. Especially because it won't, especially because his governor tries to secede like every other year. Right, exactly. Or at least in our perspective. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, I, and a lot of other fun things, although um, there are a few, there are a number of awesome things here in Texas. We just don't get enough occasion to talk about them. So, Jody, you and I met many, many years ago. We had the chance to finally um, meet in person for the first time last year um, at a special event about social media in, um, was that in Philly? We we did that? I forgot. I think it was in Chicago. In oh. oh, gosh. Was that March? Was it this? I forget. Anyway, regardless, it was nice to finally meet you in the flesh in person. And uh, you are a, a stellar leader um, in terms of keeping people's attention and staying on point. Um a guru I look up to. So, well, way too kind. I tell you, um, you know, around cancer since I. So. Okay. 
that can talk about and share that I've seen, you know, during all this time. And so much has changed, you know, since you were diagnosed, since I was diagnosed. And then I, I have this chance now to continue to put what my, you know, my, my mouth where my money is because I was diagnosed with metastatic disease in April. So it's like, well, I guess there's more to learn about this. And, you know, life, I mean, you just get handed things and you do what you can with them. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you were at a metastatic breast cancer event over the past couple of days. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the event, uh, what it tried to accomplish, what the latest information we're hearing. We know that uh, metastatic breast cancer disease is one of the most overlooked areas of breast cancer, and, you know, we're about to get slammed by a bunch of pink in a few days. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the conference you went to, what you learned, what you met, what you're hopeful about. Well, you know, the first thing was I walked in and thought, oh, here's my new tribe. And what a welcome feeling that was, you know. Every every person with cancer knows that feeling when they walk in the room and they feel like others are like them. There's no censoring of, of what you have to say. The mutual respect uh, in the room there were three men with metastatic breast cancer because men, though rare, can and do get cancer. One was uh, from Camp Lejeune. But uh, the purpose of the conference, in addition to, you know, women with the disease connecting with each other, but the other component of it that, you know, I'm so not adamant about, but it's just so important to me, is you know, some of us in the advocate arena, it could be all of us or we need to, must stay up to date with um, advances and what research is happening where. So as or if, in my case, not a question of if, but when uh, my disease progresses, I'll have, I won't feel like the rug was pulled out from under me. Do you know what I mean? I will at least be apprised and have some background information on what might be available for a next line of treatment. So I think, you know, in addition to giving uh, women a chance to share stories, share coping strategies, just enjoy being with each other, telling jokes, telling bad cancer stories. And bad, I don't mean by scary. I just mean being in cynical selves and and acting goofy. But then the other really important component is getting that information into the right people's hands. And and, in this particular occasion, you know, we talked about clinical trials. We talked about what's coming on uh, down the pike in terms of research for various types of breast cancer. So it was very, very cool. Jody, you've been a a pioneer in leveraging social media from a very early time, back before it was trendy to do tweet-ups and hashtags. You were already sort of taking over the universe. 
Can you tell us more about uh, BCSM and its origins and where it's at these days? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's cool because there are two other cancer communities coming along, along the pike. Um, BCSM, and I've now added um, MBCSM for metastatic breast cancer social media, um, for you know, quick breaking news on, on, on that front, um, came about because I was watching on Twitter, which I love Twitter. Um, you guys are, are are excellent on Facebook and understand that venue better than I do. I'm more comfortable on Twitter, but what fascinated me with it in real time, right now talking back and forth with people all over the world about one particular topic. That's the power of the hashtag. And I saw people doing that in healthcare. And it just, I just thought, why aren't we talking with cancer survivors like this? Why aren't we doing this? And I, so I got together with another survivor that's Alicia Staley, and um, we just started a conversation, and that's what BCSM is. It's a long conversation. What surprised me, not just that people like to talk about their cancer, we know they like to talk about their cancer, but you've got to talk about your cancer. Um, You know, you can't go through this disease alone. Whatever kind, whatever form you have, it's essential to find someone else to chat with. But what we found was that the platform itself gave physicians and patients an equal ground to exchange information. So we have some phenomenal docs that come on, uh, you know, the the hour. And they'll, you know, might give some input on what they've just heard. I saw that that you're going to go to the um, radiology conference. So, you know, say a a radiation oncologist comes on and and talks about findings. Right after ASCO, we have doctors talk about findings, you know. And so it gives a neutral ground, which is phenomenal for... um, patients and doctors to use the social space in a way that benefits both. Jody, who would you say are the uh, leading co-conspirators of yours in the uh, Twitter survivorship, <laughs> you know, I, I I like to call us angry bloggers space? Oh, in, yeah, you know, um, gosh, what, what a lot of fun this is. Um, we have angry, we have factual, we have, you know, the informatives, we have the entertainings, um, we have the upliftings. Um, in, the, in the angry category, my, my favorite, um, and we lost her, but she will always be my favorite for what she did on Pink October and that was the Cancer Culture Chronicles. That was Rachel uh, Morrow. And um, 
she would, you know, pose in a Santa hat and, and take pink products apart. And this was about the point that they were reaching their all-time obscene level, you know, the pink garbage cans. I don't think that's gotten any better. You know, it just, could it be worse? Yeah, I uh, I get so, one thing that I've seen across New York City is a pink uh, moving van. There's like a moving company who does um, some sponsorship for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And also uh, the tour, the New York City tour buses. They have a partnership with, uh, I believe it's Coleman for the walk. So I see like these, and I work right outside Times Square, so I can't avoid that. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is everywhere. You know, it would be really cool to um, talk about an angry cancer blog, to put on some kind of, get, get you know, 100 women in a metastatic breast cancer shirt and have them stand in front of that bus and say, "Okay, where did that research money go? Do you want do you want to tell me about?" It's like Tiananmen Square all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and 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 just go. Where's the accountability? Right. Where is the money going? How many cents on the dollar after all that is lost? Um, and how much money is your also, CEO taking home every year? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And how many layers are there before the money gets doled out and probably rolled into something else? You know, if you try to trace, I know Rachel was actually, you know, going through some of the tax records and, and working on uh, her background with accounting trying to trace some figures, and it was a very almost impossible task. But, um, you know, there are in my, in my camp, so to speak, or in the in, informed and loud and angry and um, not always ranting, but adamant, passionate, determined. You know, chemo brain fog is right out there. Dales is right out there. Our co-founder on uh, our other um, co-founder on BCSM is Dr. Atai, and she's a phenomenal champion for women with breast cancer. Uh, I can't say enough good good things about her. Um, Jody, these um gosh. these interviews go pretty quickly, and we're actually almost out of time. I was hoping that you oh, yes, could. Spend maybe just a minute or so talking about you know kind of we we had a really exciting meeting at uh, CTCA when we spoke to those people about the value of blogging the quality of blogging whether you want to be an original content provider you want to aggregate or curate what would be your sort of top three takeaways as a real well respected blogger not just on the content but the way in which you choose how to articulate and put it out to the universe what would be the three top nuggets of advice you would offer our listeners? My three top would be write what's real to you today. Reread it. Edit it. Read it again. And then 
talk with others about it, and then move that piece of copy through the pipeline. But what you talk about that's real to you today is going to bring the most passion. It's going to bring all your best abilities right out to the in the forefront. That's when your most honest voice comes out in your writing. It makes it real. Uh, you're not putting anybody, anything on. You can't mask the feelings associated with cancer. So when you get real in your writing, when you get real in your blogging, your posts jump out of the page. Does that help? That is exactly what I was hoping to hear from you. And I really do want to thank you for taking the time to call into the show tonight. I can't wait to see you again. I'm not sure when or where, but I know it's going to happen soon. You Well, you, I hope it's soon, too. Just think the world of you guys, and I'm so glad you're out there. Well, I thank you, too. You are on Twitter, at Jody MS. That's J-O-D-Y-M-S, correct? That's me. All right, friend, fan, follow, tweet, tag, and whatever, Jody MS. Jody Sugar, hey, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. You take thank care. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy Texas. Big hug, you guys. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Now it is time for our main guests here. Tonight's show is going to be awesome. It's all about a film called Nurses. If Florence could see us now. And it was put together by an amazing nurse, two-time breast cancer survivor, um... Here in studio live with us, Kathy Douglas, she, on her journey to interview many, many nurses around the country unscripted, came across Lori Mathers and Jonathan Van Nuys, and they're here to tell their story of this epic and amazing film, which keeps getting incredible reviews. Please welcome to the show, Lori Mathers, John Van Nuys, and Kathy Douglas. Folks. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's just start with Kathy. We have the pleasure of speaking to you briefly in our green room before the show, otherwise known as the office across the hall, mm-hmm. and uh, really inspired by uh, by all of this. And I guess my first question is, what would prompt a nurse who survived cancer to start a documentary project, which I'm sure you probably invested most of your own money into, with no help from anyone, <laughs> going on this masterful quest around the country to articulate and enlighten the the, the general public to the life of nurses. Well, you know that's a that's a really um, yeah. I, it's an unusual question, and it's not unfamiliar, I think, to anyone who's had cancer. I think once we have cancer, we really think about what's important and how do we want to spend our time on this planet. And um, for me, I um, had gotten cancer for the second time. And I thought I'd sort of learned what I wanted to do with my life. But I also found myself kind of falling back into some old routines. And um, then I got cancer again. And and that took me very deep into that question of how do I want to spend my time. And I felt like, you know, everybody knows kind of nursing is a very trusted profession. And a lot of people kind of have some vague idea of nurses. But they don't really think about one until they need them. And that's just kind of true in our society. We don't really think about those people that are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, taking care of people in crisis until we have a crisis of our own. And I felt like we needed to help the public understand what the work of the nurse is. You know, these are people who give a lot, who deal with 
really hard things every single day. And um, so a lot of the motivation was just to bring more awareness, especially as we're in healthcare reform. We're changing things really rapidly. And, you know, there's nobody that knows better how to take care of patients than nurses. So I also wanted to bring the attention of what nurses are doing to the community and to the policymakers to help people really get connected to this profession. Well said, well said. And uh, so we're going to talk to all of our guests tonight, but I want to go to Lori because along your journey, you had met Lori, one of the most, one of the random nurses you <laughs> found and uh, accosted a, <laughs> with a film crew, hopefully scheduled in advance. Um, but Lori, joining us tonight, th- sorry you missed your flight, but uh, we're glad you made the show. Yes, thank you so much. I'm I'm also so sorry I missed my flight, but very glad I can call in. All right, so you're a nurse, you're doing your job, and then one day you get this call from this random person who's a nurse saying, I'm doing this film. Can you meet me for coffee in 20 minutes? Right. So right. talk talk us through that process. Well, it was very exciting. It was actually after I had been back to work maybe for three months after I had um, been off for my own cancer treatment. I was off for eight months being treated for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Came back to work in October and was awarded a Daisy Award that um, Jonathan had nominated me for. And Jonathan, I hadn't seen him then at that point for over five years, but was awarded, you know, given this award. And then a few months later, got a call from one of our administrative people at Kaiser saying that, you know, Kathy was making this film and she wanted to come film me. Um, so she did come film me at my play, my my former place of employment and. From that point on, we decided, or she decided, that she wanted them to film Jonathan and then to film us together because we hadn't seen each other for you know over five years. So it was really quite. It was I, I had a blast doing it. I just felt so pride, so had so much pride that I could actually um, articulate my own experience of being a nurse and also have, having been an oncology nurse for 20 years at that point. Um, and just to explain what it felt like to not only be an oncology nurse but but also an oncology patient. And Jonathan, you worked in the medical field, and then you were diagnosed with cancer, and then you met Lori, and then you became a nurse. So why don't you tell us a little about your whole story, what you were doing before, your diagnosis, why you decided to get into nursing, the whole story. Okay. Um, you, were, all, you were born on? <laughs> I was born on November 8th, 1972. <laughs> on a bright, sunny day. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, first of all, I just want to say it's so wonderful to hear Lori's voice. It's just the story that we've had together and the connection that we've had together is is incredible, and it's moving just to hear you, yeah. even though you're not here. Hi, <laughs> So I um, actually, I'll, I'll, my story started a little bit before I was diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2004, and that was incredibly devastating for me. It was something I never expected to deal with in my life. And the stigma of that diagnosis I really took upon myself and it started to smother me like a heavy cloak. I was very hidden about it. I I did not tell my family. I did not tell most of my friends or my coworkers because I was very ashamed. At the time, I was working for Kaiser Permanente, which is a medical group, but I was not working on the patient care side. I was working as a kind of project manager, arranging moves and ordering furniture and signs and felt very stuck, very trapped, working 40 hours a week with this heavy diagnosis that I didn't know how to talk about. 
And it was two years later that I got a cancer diagnosis. Uh, I was diagnosed with stage 4 testicular cancer, which means it had spread to the lymph nodes in the lungs. Um, I had to have surgery and then go through chemotherapy. And as a result, I had to move back in with my family. And they did not know at that point that I had HIV. I was told by my oncologist, you have to tell your family or you will not survive this. You will not survive carrying a secret like this. So I, I resolved to tell them, but then... It was, I think it was Mother's Day, that day I came home right before I got started with the chemo. It just didn't seem right, and then things got going and more confusing, and, and seeing the fear and the pain in my parents' eyes as they saw me get ill and lose my hair, I thought, how could I tell them that I have this other life-threatening disease? I, I thought it might be a slap in the face. So it was in that dark time when I was going through chemo and yet hiding half of my health stuff from my parents that I met Lori, and uh, I think one of the other nurses came, and, and the whole medical team knew what I was struggling with, and they said, uh, would you be willing to talk to Lori, and, and maybe I'll let Lori jump in with a piece of the story here. Right, at, at that point, I was uh, I was actually working in the inpatient setting and just floating over to the outpatient chemo department maybe once a month, so on this day that Jonathan came in, I was asked, you know, if I could sit and talk with him um, because I had, I have a son who's about 10 years younger than Jonathan, and they, they were thinking that, well, you know, the, the HIV thing, that maybe I would have some, um, you know, my son is gay, and so somehow or another they, they thought that there was some, you know, potential um, service that I could give to Jonathan and just give him a, um, a listening ear. Um, and so I sat with him, and I realized, my God, this poor young man, this beautiful soul, which he so is, and it's so obvious that he's this lovely, compassionate man, was just deeply, profoundly suffering from where he was holding his health, his his beliefs about himself with his HIV, um, and it was very clear to me and painful to me as a parent and as a nurse that he was holding something so secret that I knew would he, he just would not, his body would not be able to deal with his cancer and its treatment and then allow himself to heal with that much, you know, emotional, psychic, spiritual energy being um, so thwarted. And so what we did, we had just this conversation where I supported him, listened to him, told him what felt true to me, which was that, you know, his parents could possibly have a reaction when they found out that he was HIV positive. If my son came to me and was HIV positive, I might have an initial sense of distress around that, but that it immediately would move into only wanting to help and love and support him, that it was my feeling that that would, that that would be his experience with his parents and that I very much wanted him to know that he had my love and support to, to make that, have that conversation happen. Um, so how about you jump, jump in, Jonathan, what, what happened for you after that? So I, I did speak with Lori and she told me that she had a gay son and she said if he came to me and told me he was HIV positive I might initially be upset but ultimately I'd want to love and embrace and support him and I know I see your family I I see your parents want that for you um and and yeah. I took, and she gave me a, a bracelet of wooden beads I forgot are they called koi beads or koa beads yeah koa, koa beads, beads from Hawaii from yeah. Hawaii and she said uh, I'm going to infuse this, this bracelet with all of my love and support. And the day that you decide to tell your parents, I want you to wear this bracelet and know that you're supported and you have a whole community of people behind you. 
And I do want to interject that my family has always been loving and supportive. I never feared rejection by my family. It was more that uh, I didn't want them to see me see me the way that I was seeing myself. I felt like I had let them down, like I had let myself down. I was just very ashamed. Um, and after I had finished the chemo and just realized that I was stuck in this dark place and needed to do something to get out, I did decide to tell my parents one day, and I did wear that bracelet and took the support of Lori and of the team of all the people who had provided me care and loved me through that period and um that that moment for me was a watershed moment it it released so much energy that i think had been pent up in in beating myself up and that energy just expanded and released outward i decided that rather than running from my diagnosis i wanted to turn around and and fight and help other people who were struggling with the stigma of hiv and it was that at that time that I decided I, I wanted to change my life, I wanted to go back to school and pursue nursing and become a nurse practitioner working in HIV. And that was very much inspired by Lori and not only the love that she showed for me in that moment, but just how she embodied the the way that one person and that a nurse especially can change a life just by the act of simply listening and being present and being non-judgmental and caring. Jonathan, what hospital were you at at the time? I was at Kaiser. I was fortunate enough to have Kaiser insurance because I had uh, because I was an employee. So I was at Kaiser Santa Rosa. And you were 33. I was time. 33. And how old are you now? 40. God bless you. Yeah. I'll be 40 next <laughs> May. What's, what's it feel like? I'm, I'm approaching your your checkbox. You know, it feels good. I I it, it feels great. I was terrified of 40 my whole <laughs> life. I was terrified of 40 mm-hmm. when I was like 10. And um, then the day that it came, I just felt very joyful and joyous and yep. grateful. And, you know, it's only a big deal until you get there. And then it's like... So this entire show, is it's all about young adults affected by cancer and what makes them unique as young adults and the age specificities that go on with that. While you were in treatment, were you ever introduced to anyone under 40? I was not. And it was actually... It was very tough. It was a very isolating time. In a lot of ways, I felt very alone. I felt very much like I was in darkness, and I didn't know who to reach out to or how to talk to anybody. I I had a lot of support, but uh, I didn't feel like anybody really understood. The other people in the chemo unit uh, were quite a bit older. Even after I finished chemotherapy, I went to a support group, but I was the youngest one by maybe about 20 or 30 years. Um, Really, the only person I could connect with at that time was my baby niece who at that time was less than a year old and she couldn't talk um <laughs> but I, I just i just hold her and i felt like somehow we had this right <laughs> I, I just wanted to bring that up because we are here raising awareness for the fact that this is an age-related issue of of mental health and uh it's not it's not addressed to no one's specific fault but now there are and I want to get into later on in the show standards and where nursing is and where things are going through the lens of your story. I did want to take a quick break because I found this great list of the top ten things you should never say to a nurse. And I want to see if they're all relevant to the three of you. Number one, hello, nurse. Second one is, do you only date doctors? Or, come on, it's just like on TV, right? Or, nurses, you take your orders from doctors, right? Or, Nurse, what's taking so long? Or, you can hook me up with meds, right? Uh, so what does a nurse actually do around here? Or, 
but you're just a nurse. And finally... Why aren't you a doctor? Why aren't you a doctor? Ding, 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 ding. All right, so let's, before we get into... Yeah. You're too smart to be a nurse. Can you be a doctor? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So before we get back to the serious tone of the movie, talk to us about being a nurse in the 21st century. Isn't all, it, I'll, I'll yeah, it's all three of you, yeah. It, it's an incredible opportunity. I think nursing is such a diverse world. Um, there are so many ways you can go, and, and there's so much power in it. But, yes, the, those quotes are frustrating. Um, and as a nurse practitioner, I work in primary care and do very much um, – what a doctor would do, and and I get that question a lot. Like, oh, oh, are you um, are you going to go on to med school? Right. It, it's not a continuum. It's a separate profession with its own philosophy. Right. Kathy. Well, you know, um, I think that that nurses are poorly understood and, frankly, poorly represented in the media. If you look at the TV shows and that, you never see a nurse who's really empowered, who's a decision maker, who's using science to manage their practice. Right. And so, and so they seem a bit subservient, and that's just not reality. Uh, reality is is that nurses are highly trained professionals. They're very scientific, um, and they have very um, um, they have a lot of work that they do. It's real challenging to be a nurse today because the you know we're cutting back on our budgets. We're trying to to cut back on our staffing, and that's a big problem. So if a nurse has too many patients to care for, they can't give the quality of care that they want to. So it's a real challenge. I mean, I think that we've got to get, and one of the reasons we made the film is to try and bring some counterbalance to this view of of nurses and what they actually do. Now, Laura, you were in oncology nursing before or after you were diagnosed? Oh, I've been an oncology nurse since 1990. Okay. So it's, it was really my, um, you know, inpatient and outpatient. So I've spent my entire career taking care of people with cancer. So let's hear your story um, really quickly, but I do want to get to the kismet, the magic of this film, the, the denouement, so to speak, yes. of, of, of the, just the miracle going on here. So let's, let's hear your story. Uh, my story since or before my diagnosis? Well, what was your symptoms and leading up to it and how being an oh, oncology think, nurse getting um, diagnosed with cancer? Well, in retrospect, um, as I said at one point in the film, it, it, it's, sometimes it just makes me laugh because it seems like I, sh- I should have been spared the cancer card given <laughs> how much time I've spent taking care right. of people with cancer. That, you know, that's how I felt in the beginning. I, I really, I, I think that I had, as everyone with cancer I've learned, has a profound um, reaction to having cancer. But even with Having, if you have a, another diagnosis, it might actually, you know, statistically be more life-threatening than any particular cancer that you might have. But just the word cancer itself, it, it, it elicits such a, a fear response in people that, you know, that has all, I've noticed that all through my years of oncology nursing. And when I was diagnosed, I really was quite terrified. I had no idea how to be a cancer patient. I only knew how to be a cancer nurse. So I was in quite a bit of struggle throughout my my treatment. Um, I had a, I, I went into a profound depression when I was through my treatment. I did not know how to manage having had that experience. I, I really had no idea how to work with it. Um, I, I spent a lot of time trying to act as if everything was fine, and I just went right back into my same job and ended up, you know, really causing myself quite a bit of, of angst, Um that I've now thankfully come out of and have, you know, mined the, the depths of how 
now I move forward into my life with a, a type of cancer that's not considered curable. Um, uh, Non-Hodgkin's, the non-Hodgkin's that I have is not considered curable. So I am walking around with quite a depth of empathy for anyone else that is also dealing with cancer because I get it. There's no, there's no secret now. Um, and so I'm at a point now, which is such a blessing, where when I am sitting with someone with cancer, whether they're in treatment or not, I, I, I actually can meet them where they are because I understand. You know, there's the, frequently there's not there's not even a conversation to be had. I can just sit with them energetically, and I I get it. You know, and I don't require anybody to put on a happy face or you know tell me or make a positive and what's really going on because I get in this society to have cancer there is quite a push for me to be a positive thing. And I, I just I think people where they really are so I can love and support them through whatever process they're going through. And this question so. is for everybody. I'll start with uh Kathy. So what made you besides just the getting the, you know, negative media and movie and television reputation nurses, I know you know, just having been through treatment myself, you know, my oncologist can't hook me up to an IV when I want to sit around and cry. She doesn't have time to listen because she has backed up appointments with other patients. And when I just want to be cranky and complain, I always complain to my nurses, the nurse practitioner, the nurse oncologist, you name it, whatever nurse I could complain to, I complain to. The ones I was in the hospital, I'm hitting up for pills. You you name it, I was, I'm not a great patient. But um, what made you want to do this? And what? how did you start from idea to what it is, to what the film is now? Well, you know, um, I think a lot of people, you know, say, well, what does a nurse know about making a film? And I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I know we have a lot of young people on the show tonight. I want to tell you, you just got to get an idea and run with it. I mean, life is too okay. short, gang, to, you know, sit around and think, oh, you know, I've got to have all the answers. So I didn't have any answers. I just kind of tackled the project. And, you know, you just have to have a passion for what you want to do and a and a commitment to do it. I do want to... I do want to say, Zachary, there was an amazing group of people who rallied together to make this happen. It, 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 it started as an idea, and as you talk to people, you find like-minded people who want to share, you know, who want to get that same kind of idea out. Um, and so, you know, this organization on nursing excellence, you know, brought great support. You founded that. It's yours, right? I founded that organization. Um, I was one of the founders of the organization. There was a whole group of us, actually. And, and we started the organization because we were worried about nurse staffing. Look, if you're going to have enough time to sit and talk to Jonathan so that you can inspire him to talk to his parents to heal and then change his life and become a nurse and help others, that doesn't happen if you're so busy that all you can do is hand out your pills, change your IVs, and run to the next room. So right. so it's really about if we can understand how important this work is, then more stories like Jonathan and Lori's can happen. So where's the line then? With, with all due respect to the amount of time it takes to become a nurse, to maintain being a nurse, to, to, to sustain the literacy that you require on a day-to-day -day basis... Where do you have time to be a therapist? 
You know, I don't think it's being a therapist. Um, I think that there's other professionals who are quite good at that. But the ability to be able to sit down in a room and listen to somebody for a few minutes, Lori didn't give a bunch of advice. She listened. And you know something? If we're staffing our nurses so tight and we're giving them so many patients that they can't sit down at the bedside and listen to a family member or listen to a patient, then we're not living our truth. We're not living who we are or why we came into the profession in the first place. So we just have to really advocate for that, and we have to help our hospital administrators and our CFOs and finance people understand that that's part of the healing process. That's what's going to help keep people healthy and out of the hospital. But psychosocial wellness is a new concept. It's not a new idea, but it's a new concept in billables and codes and back pay and reimbursables. And you guys have actually kind of been very influential in getting that to become something out of the nebulous ether that it wasn't even five or six years ago. And we just may not be nursing thing, but just to something as simple as acupuncture being right. covered by insurance now. It's not wonderful. That it's it that's a huge wonderful. thing. In I'll wait till, you know, Reiki is covered by insurance or massage therapy. You know, you shouldn't have to have an IEP for a PT to to you know you should be able to have it covered. You know, it, it's coming. My brother who recently passed away from cancer um was in the hospital and you know he could actually have an acupuncturist three times a week during his his hospital stay. I mean, we are making progress. I guess right. that's my point. So I want to come full circle to yes. the to the Kisman factor of all of this, which is Jonathan. You were diagnosed seven years ago with testicular stage four testicular cancer, and then you had this amazing koi bracelet, right? Is that pronouncing that right? It's a um, kukui. They're K-O-A. Okay. Yeah. That that yeah. Uh, Lori gave you as a gift of energy and healing and and and, and community. And then several years later, Lori was diagnosed with cancer. And tell us what happened. Yeah, so I, I had that bracelet by my bedside for a long time. It, it meant a lot to me. And in the meantime, I had gone through my prerequisites for nursing school, applied to UCSF, which is a very prestigious program, had just finished my my nursing degree, and had not gone back to thank Lori. I had never seen her again. She never knew what had become of me. And uh, really the reason I hadn't gone back was out of fear. I was afraid of the smells of the chemotherapy. I was afraid maybe Lori wouldn't remember me. Maybe the people there wouldn't remember me. But as time went on, I thought, it's not about me. I really need to go back and say thank you. This person changed my life and means so much to me. So I went back. I brought the bracelet, and Lori wasn't there. Uh, unfortunately, she was out with her own chemo treatment. So I borrowed some post-it notes and wrote my whole story of what I had done in the past five years, I think it was, on a, I don't know, 15 post-it notes in my messy handwriting, and left that with the bracelet for Lori. And I think it was uh, close to a year later, um, uh, months later, when I heard back from her that she had come back um, to work and received this trophy. I also, on my way out, I saw a poster or nominate a nurse for a Nursing and Excellence Award, and I thought, who better? So I wrote out the story again, and it turned out Lori won that award. She won a trophy, and that's how Kathy discovered her. Well, that's quite extraordinary. Yeah. Lori, can you talk us through the emotional moment when you realized that Jonathan had left the same bracelet for you that you gave to him? Well, I, I, it gives me goosebumps and makes me want to cry just thinking about it. And, you know, again, and um, I, I think the wonder of the whole thing for me was, 
I, I only took care of Jonathan that one day. Um, I sat with him for however long it took to give him his chemo, you know, two or three hours or so, and we had our conversation. And then I did not know what, what became of him because that wasn't my that wasn't my regular place of employment anymore. I was doing inpatient, and that was in the outpatient unit. So um, over the, the next five years before we reconnected, I thought of him many times, and, and when I thought of him, it was with this sense of, oh, boy, I had this little pang because I was fairly frank with him. I, basically what I said was, if my son came to me and told me he was HIV positive, I might be pissed. I might want to kick his, you know what, you know, but then that would immediately move into love and support. But over the years, I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that to that poor guy. I hope it was okay. <laughs> I worried about him. I, you know, and so I really didn't know what happened. So when I got that letter in my bracelet, I was just so thrilled and thought it was just truly extraordinary that it really, not just about, um, you know, me per se, but how we as, as human beings connect and can affect other people and never know it. You never, ever know how your um, your kindness or your compassion or the extra 30 seconds that you spend being kind to the checker at Whole Foods might completely change their life in ways that, you know, I feel very fortunate that Jonathan came back and let me know but what it what it really imprinted on me was the power that we have to help and support each other by by being kind, really, by being kind and being non-judgmental. I think that's the true beauty of this story. Is it it that interaction did change Jonathan's life, and he went on and now is in a very powerful position where he has already touched many many hundreds of lives and will continue to do that as a nurse practitioner, you know, throughout his his career and his and his life um and that might not have happened had we not had our conversation which is really incredible yeah laura you'd be surprised i mean i want my main nurse practitioner and the other nurse in the office where i was getting chemotherapy we spent a lot of quality time together and we became very close and one of the aspects and i'll ask all of you but i'll start with you Lori, first is i always wonder as a patient how nurses feel. And I know that when I went through treatment, one of my biggest, you know, gripes, which I know that Jonathan felt the same way, was, you know, I was 30, 33. We both felt very young going through treatment. And it was very difficult because I would have, like, older ladies make a lot of comments to me about my age, and I would get very frustrated. And I don't, I, I, I know how old I am. I know how young I look. I don't need you to point it out to me. I am aware. And my nurse, I would sometimes go into chemotherapy and I would cry and be sad about what was going on. And she would always talk about how it bothered her that it wasn't fair that this is happening to me. And I always wondered what it's like for a nurse to treat somebody, someone who you deal with regularly and you grow a relationship with. How do you, Right. I, I, I just can't, I, it's hard for me to understand what it's like for nurses on the, when they go home at night and have to think about all these patients who they have, who they see all the time, and some of them, you know, there might be someone like me who comes in for a period for chemotherapy, or there might be someone who has a terminal diagnosis and might eventually pass away. So for nurses, how do you deal with that, and how do you deal with the making connections with these patients? Let me start with you, Laurie. Well, that's a really great question. Are you starting with me? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's that's a really great really sweet question and I thank you for asking because what you know, it, it makes me how nurses feel obviously is dependent on the individual nurse that you have. But oncology nurses make a choice to be um, working with a population that we know people with cancer die. We know that's going to happen. It doesn't happen to everybody. I mean, and many more people go on to live very long, productive lives after they've had treatment. Um, but people with cancer do, you know, they do face a very scary diagnosis, difficult treatment, and possibly, you know, a very shortened life. And so oncology nurses are aware of that. And what I want people to know is that, you know, we really come from the heart. Nurses come from the heart. Good nurses come from the heart. They feel you. There's a deep in, intuitive sense that happens between nurses and patients. It's where we, you know, we feel you and we love you. You know, we definitely love our patients. There's not, there's not a way not to love our patients. You know, and I sat with Jonathan and I looked at him and he was so vulnerable and he was bald and, you know, so young. My heart clenched because Ooh, we're losing you a little bit. Yeah, I think bit. we lost you, Lori. Okay, well, we'll go on to Jonathan to pick up where she left off. Just for you personally, especially having gone through everything that you have gone through. Yeah, I, I think it's very different for me because I came in after having been a patient in some uh, very profound ways. And I, I want to read a quote that was very instrumental to me in, in starting my career, and it it goes, any of the stuff of our lives, our joys, our failures, our loves, our losses, even our sicknesses, can become the stuff of service. I have seen people use anything to bless life. There is such a simple greatness in us all that nothing need be wasted. And that's by Rachel Naomi Raymond. And that's that's that captures the philosophy with which I try to live my life and my career. And I think um, when I see a patient, I bring all of my own health experiences, all, all of my experiences with me in the room. And whether I verbalize that or not, and I usually don't because I don't want to make it about me, I uh, I feel like that's in the room and it's just there. I, I, That dividing line between sickness and health is so thin. It's like a gossamer line. Anybody can pass over at any time. And I, I retain that awareness. And I feel like when you hear people's stories and when you hear what they walk with, I can't help but fall in love with them in some way. And I just want to be that person who who listens and who gives them my full attention. So I, I think for me it's it's just a, a profound river of empathy that is just naturally there. You know, in the movie, one of the nurses says, you know, I, I remember the very first child I ever took care of who drowned. Um, in a in a irrigation ditch, I think that every patient we take care of becomes a part of us. And you know, sometimes you run into nurses who are a little cold, and I think that's because their heart just can't take anymore. It's really hard work, and I think it builds up. Nobody enters nursing wanting to be um, insensitive, but you do run into it sometimes. And I know every one of you, if you've been in healthcare, can run into that. And all I would say to you is try to have some compassion back because these are people who don't deal with a crisis once in a while. They deal with it every single day as part of their career. And it's hard. It's it's very hard work. But, you know, I can't think of a patient I've ever taken care of who's not somehow a part of my being. 
They become a part of us. Lori, are you back? We lost you for a second there. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, some British lady said goodbye, and I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the queen. <laughs> yeah. That was the queen. We hear those voices, too. Yeah. <laughs> what <Yeah>. British lady? <laughs> exactly. All right, we have a f- just a few minutes left, and this has been a really compelling show. We haven't done a show directly on just nursing in a long time, but we do interface with nurses all the time, whether it's the Oncology Nursing Society or the Pediatric Oncology APON or... Um, actually, one of our board members is the founder and chairman of the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators, Sharon Franz. So we take nursing incredibly seriously, and we believe that nurses are the gateways to change for cancer survivorship, and that we're not here to f- change physician behavior. We're here to augment the relationship physicians have with their understanding of their practice, and that nurses are the catalyst for that. Social workers, too, fit right in there, and, and it's really this team approach. I would ask the three of you to each spend a minute or so. What does the world need to know and need to do to improve the lives of the effectiveness of nurses in this country? Start with Lori. Of the what of nurses in the effectiveness. Oh the effectiveness. Just to recognize um that we that nurses are essential to your care and to support whatever uh legislation is happening to improve nursing rate. For example, in California, the nurse ratio law that we have, that is now, you know, rolling out throughout the country. There's a lot of work getting, you know, with with unions and all of that to get that nurse ratio um, in each each state legislature. That's that's a huge thing. So to support that, to support the work of nurses. Jonathan? I think it takes being a team at this point. I I actually work on an interdisciplinary team at the VA right now with uh, nurse practitioners, nurses, LVNs, and MDs, and and some wonderful MDs who are who are also mentors to me. And I think it's it's all realizing that we're part of a team um, there for the patient. That that we're all here for the patient. And the idea of a lot of places now have 15-minute patient appointments, and you you cannot make someone feel respected and heard, or it's very difficult in 15 minutes. It's like the fast food of patient care. So I think really expanding that time that providers, um, no matter what their role be, have with patients and working together as a team and just uh, facil- facilitating listening to people and their stories. And So you're not a like McNurse. I am not a McNurse. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, take us through in your comments. You had mentioned legislative change um, as part of what Mer- Americans can be aware of. Are there any bills out there, Any anything going through the House or the Senate, any papers being written up to improve the the back end of things from the government side for nurses in this country? You know, there's a lot going on um, in the legislation, both state and national. I think, though, in my personal opinion, is um, is that we want to empower nurses to be able to do their work, and they know what they need. We've just got to get that voice stronger 
And we've got to get our hospital administrators and our healthcare leaders listening to that voice. When you look at healthcare reform that's going on in this country, you know, nursing's not at the table as largely as they should be. The physicians are right there, but they don't understand the 24-hour-a-day care that the nurses do. So I think supporting, you know, um, nursing organizations and supporting nursing really getting out there. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is when you think about what nurses need, you know, Jonathan is one of the rare people that went back five years later and told Lori what happened. We don't hear what happens. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of patients that we've all cared for and we never know what happens because they're discharged or they're or they're gone, and we never know. Are you allowed as nurses to give them your personal contact information? What what mechanism could a patient? I mean, I, I'm all for this, but talk me through a solution. So Jonathan just sought out Laura. He went back to the place where the care was given, and they were able to pass that information on. It's you can't really give out your right. Some people do it, but right. I, I can't really advocate for that. But you know. Write a letter, down and write a note, and send it to the hospital. Send it to the hospital administrator. Make sure those guys know how much we appreciate, how much patients appreciate the work the nurses are doing. And if you run into a nurse in your community, as a neighbor, as a friend, just pause and say thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Because if nurses weren't doing it, imagine what our imagine what life would be. <laughs> right. They're really the glue that holds this whole thing together. And so just, you know, I would just say reach out and say thank you. Well, the film is Nurses, if Florence could see us now, I assume a reference to Florence Nightingale. Absolutely. So what would Florence say if she could see you now? Well, you know, Florence Nightingale is considered kind of the mother of modern nursing. So before that, it was kind of the military or, or the churches or families who really took care of people in need. And Florence put science behind it, and she was a real kind of advocate uh, for um, um, for nursing. And I think if she looked at us now, she'd be very proud. She'd be proud of how scientific nursing has become. She'd be proud of the researchers, many, many nurses with PhDs. So we've got all of that going really well for us. I think, um, and, and, and the, a lot of people answer this question in the film, so I hope some of you reach out and actually watch the film. You know, there's a lot of, of people who said, you know, but she, you know, she would tell us to keep going. You know, we haven't solved all the problems. We're there. We're fighting the battles every day. But there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot more research that needs to be done. There's a lot of areas, you know, you even mentioned earlier areas where we're not focusing our research. So I just think that there's, she would say, you know, <laughs> keep doing this work, but don't rest. There's too much to do. There's too many patients who need our help. So how can our listeners get the movie? Okay, well, this is really exciting because as a as a as a fairly new filmmaker, this is only my second film. It's really hard for a film to get picked up by distributors. But this film did get picked up right here in New York, first run features, one of the largest wow. independent film distributors in the United States. Congratulations. Picked up our film. I think last month we were the highest selling film for first run features. Wow. So we're doing really well there. 
thanks to them, you can rent it on iTunes for, I think, like $1.99. So if you don't have any money, that's a great way to see it. You can order it on iTunes. You can go to the On Nursing Excellence website. It's on Amazon, too, right? It's on Amazon. It's actually... Um, it's actually in Barnes and Noble. I mean, if you Google it, I I did that like about a month ago. It's in I think you know 50 different distribution channels. So whatever your favorite um, place to to purchase films is, and I want people to know that when you purchase that film, this is a nonprofit that this money goes to, and that helps further this work of this group of nurses that are trying to really make a difference. So it's kind of we think of it as a donation in a way. So thank you so much you know if you rent it or you purchase it um it really helps the work go forward well this you know we got to do a rocky start but this was our uh this is one of our best shows absolutely this is really really compelling really emotional and um it, it's exciting i remember my nurses Andy mentioned her nurses um they were the glue they really were the glue i mean i had again i had great care but i too went isolate i was you know diagnosed during clinton so there was nothing in the world of wellness. It was just like cut and dry, get you out of there, meat factory mentality. So I don't fault 1996 for being 1996, but I, you know, the whole reason I started this organization 10 years later uh, to the date uh, was because, you know, it's not okay that I went alone. Uh, and it's not fair that even, in, you know, even seven years ago you went alone. People go alone today still. So I would believe Florence would say, what I always say is, you know, we've we've come so far but behind every door of success are ten more of challenge, and we have to pursue and do our best and make the most. So, you guys have been really awesome. Any 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 final thoughts, Annie? I have to say I I love nurses. They are the ones. I have a lot of friends from college who are nurses, and they're the ones who I would hit up at all hours of the night. Texting, calling, giving them my laundry list of side effects from chemotherapy, and I haven't gone to the bathroom in about 12 days. <laughs> what do I do? Um, they were the ones who answered the call, answered the text. It didn't matter if they were in oncology, if they were, you know, one of my best friends is a nurse, and she's done a little bit of everything. She hasn't done oncology because, as you all know, oncology is difficult, and it's just not for her, but she... Um, you know, looked into a lot of what I was dealing with and drugs, and she was very, very helpful. But my nurses were the ones who gave me their cell phone numbers and their email addresses, and it was, I just passed out with my friends. Do I need to go to the hospital? She responded in 15 minutes. So I knew it was a weekend, and I knew what to do. And even, you know, my mini meltdowns, six months or whatever, not even six months past treatment, but just my mini meltdown, meltdowns of help. And I wasn't even, you know, their active roster chemotherapy patients, but I just was having a meltdown and on a weekend and needed to talk to somebody. And I didn't want to bother my oncologist because I was like, she's not going to, I don't know if she's going to respond on a Sunday. And she called me. And um, nurses are very helpful. They're the best with veins. They know how to they know how to put in a good IV. They do. They know which veins to leave alone. Even almost a year after chemotherapy, my one of my you know I had two main nurses. One of them knows don't go near that one. It's it's seen about a hundred wars, but uh, you guys do very important work, and you guys are you might not think you're therapists, but you are. And even when you tell us that we need therapists, 
that's you being a therapist. <laughs> so well said, Annie. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Well, once again, um, for, you made the trip. First of all, that's a schlep. You made the trip. Thanks for coming out to New York. Enjoy yourself while you're here. We'll give you tourist tips after the show. Um, Lori, I hope you uh, are you planning on still coming because we'd love to see you if you're in town. Um, I'm not able to come. I'm actually dealing with my mother who's really sick, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of the hospital now as we're, you know, as we're on the phone. Okay. So, well, we won't take um, up much I'm more of your time. You have to yeah. go be a caregiver, but go be a nurse. Fine, I would love to come. Yes. Well, again, thank you guys so much. The film, once again, is Nursing If Flo- Nurses. If Florence could see us now on iTunes, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, you name it. You can find it anywhere. Thank you, guys. Lori Mathers, Jonathan Van Nuys, and Kathy Douglas. You guys kick ass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, now it is time for our closing sequence. Uh, Internets. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 277th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests tonight, Jody Sugar and three fabulous nurses, my new band name, Kathy Douglas, Jonathan Van Nuys, and Lori Mathers. Join us next week as we cover Life Beyond Childhood Cancer with Karen Conahan, Kristen Smith, and long-term survivor Colleen Sierra. Join us from the Robert Lori Comprehensive Cancer Center of Northwestern University's Comprehensive Follow-Up Star Program for Adult Survivors of Childhood Cancer and Survivor Spotlight and young adult colon cancer survivor, blogger, and healthcare activist Michelle Whitehead Hastings. Alrighty, subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Also check out us check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org or stupidcancershow.org. Remember folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck. On behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Take care, folks.